to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. Over the next three weeks, we're returning to a theme in our sermons uh, that we began in January. Um, but don't worry, you didn't need to be here for that bit to understand it. Uh, looking, a theme where we're looking at significant prayers in the Bible and what we can learn from them, both about the practice of prayer and just about living life. Um, and this week and next week, uh, we are looking at two of the Apostle Paul's prayers, Uh, The first of which we read in verses 9 to 11 there in Philippians chapter 1. I hope you'll have that open, page 1161. Why is this prayer, this prayer of the Apostle Paul, why is it worth taking time over? Oh, it's worth taking time over because it's a prayer about maturity. It's Paul's prayer for the young church at Philippi, a group of Christian believers learning to go about their lives according to their new faith in Jesus. And what Paul prays for them shows us what he hoped for them. It shows us the shape he hoped their lives would come to take, the way in which he hoped they would progress. And that is worth paying attention to because it might have, I think it does have, significant things to teach us and to challenge us about what it might look like for us to grow in maturity in our faith as well. I think the issue of maturity or or personal growth or personal enrichment is actually a really significant one for us and for many people in our context. A lot of people I meet and talk to, both Christians and people who are not Christians, uh, care a lot about the question of whether they are growing as people whether they are happy with the way their lives are unfolding, whether they're kind of being enriched as life goes on. As a culture, it's interesting to notice that we we value therapy more than most other cultures in human history. We're interested in questions like whether we have the right balance in our lives, whether our work is fulfilling, uh, how our spiritual health is going, well-being, physical fitness, things like that. And, and we're fearful, I think, of a sense that we are treading water, treading water in life, uh, not going anywhere but just kind of maintaining. We don't like the thought that that's what's happening. Now, from one point of view, all of this is a concern for maturity, for life to be unfolding in a right and healthy way, for us to be growing as people. But what does it actually look like to grow, to become more mature? And how does it happen? And what difference does Christian faith make to these questions? These are questions I think Paul's prayer can help us with. Probably it won't resolve all our questions, but it will at least throw some new things into the mix. So will you have a look at me at these three verses, verses 9 to 11 from Philippians chapter 1. And you'll be happy to know that in these three verses, we learn three things about maturity. First, we learn that maturity is about love growing through knowledge. Second, we learn that maturity involves learning the skill of discernment. 
And third, we learn that the goal of maturity is sanctification. I'll explain all those as we go. Let's start with the first one. First, maturity is about love growing through knowledge. Have a look there at verse 9. And this is my prayer, Paul begins. This is what I'm praying for, that your love may abound. That your love may abound, that your love may grow. What love is this that he's talking about? What love? Well, it's the love that comes from being loved by God in Jesus Christ. The love that is at the heart and the very foundation of what it means to be a Christian. We've just finished, as many of you know, a series on Romans chapters 5 to 8. And at the very beginning and end of that series, we saw a really significant reference to love that really is at the heart of what Paul's talking about. In chapter 5, verse 5, Paul talks about how the love of God is poured into our hearts through Christ Jesus. That's what he says it is to be a Christian, for the love of God, God's love for us in Jesus, to to just be poured into our hearts, for us to become aware of that love and transformed by it, so that by the end in chapter 8, he can describe what it is to be a Christian in chapter 8, verse 28, as being those who love God. That's what Christians are. They're those who love God. God's love comes into our lives and transforms us and gives us a new love for God and then for others. That love overflows in love for others. Being a Christian, you see, is most fundamentally about the presence of a new love in your life. And it's expressed especially in love for others. And without this love, nothing. There's certainly no maturing without this love because maturity is about this love growing. Uh, Paul actually says this explicitly in that famous passage from 1 Corinthians 13, which is often read at weddings, which begins, If I speak, Paul says, If I speak in tongues of men and angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And he goes on and says, if I know everything, if I can do everything, if I'm really impressive spiritual, spiritually but don't have love, I am nothing. Without love, you can't get started in the Christian life. That's worth reflecting on, I think. Because it is actually possible to lose touch with that love. That is the foundation of everything. Uh, When the Lord Jesus speaks to the churches in the book of Revelation, one of the churches he speaks to, his criticism is this. He says, you have abandoned the love you had at first. You've lost touch with the love that kicked you off, he's saying. We mustn't let that be us. In our going on as Christians, we mustn't lose touch with the love that is, is the foundation and the logic of the whole journey. Um, if we do lose touch with that, and and perhaps we will at times, we must go back to square one. Paul prays that their love may abound. But then he goes on, I pray that your love will abound in knowledge. You see it there in verse 9, in knowledge and depth of insight. Knowledge matters. But it matters because it serves love. It enables love to take the right shape and be rightly formed. Knowledge is not an end in itself. 
Understanding stuff is not an end in itself. It's not the goal. It's, it's something that is good because it serves love. Love grows through knowledge. But it therefore does matter. Uh, we, we need to understand this because it's really possible to get your understanding of knowledge wrong. You can get it wrong in either of two ways, both of, think, both of which I think are, are very possible for Christians and for all sorts of people. On the one hand, you can think that knowledge doesn't matter. Being a Christian is not about that. Being a Christian is about you know, what you feel and what's in your, in, in your gut and, 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 and kind of a, a spiritual, it's a spiritual thing, it's between you and God, it's about experiences. And it's not, it's not about knowing and understanding stuff. That's, that's kind of to intellectualize it. Now that, that, that taps into a whole anti-intellectualism that runs through Australian culture um, and it can feed a scepticism about any kind of learning in the Christian life. But of, of course it's a mistake. But of course there's another mistake which we're also equally capable of making which is to think that knowledge is everything, that knowledge is maturity. That maturity is about Bible knowledge or knowledge of theology. Now that's a mistake because it, it, it starts to think that knowledge is an end in itself. But it's not. Knowledge matters because it helps love grow and take the right shape. It's good, therefore, but it's not the main game. Okay, that's point one. Paul prays that your love may abound in knowledge and depth of insight. That's what maturity is about, love growing through knowledge. Where does that leave you? Second point, maturity involves learning discernment. Verse 10, have a look at it there. Pray that your love will abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Verse 10, so that you may be able to discern what is best. The reason love has to be formed by knowledge is because we need to be able to discern what is best. What does that mean? Discernment has to do with weighing and choosing between things wisely and judiciously. Uh, It's not just about choosing right from wrong, righteousness from sin. It's also about choosing better from worse, uh, what is important from what doesn't matter as much. Paul Paul implies that living as a Christian and in a Christian community demands discernment. We, We constantly need, you see, to make judgment calls about things like what to care about, what to prioritize, what to speak about, what to not speak about, what to spend money on. And these calls, Paul says, are difficult and maturity is partly about learning to do those things better, learning to discern better. I wonder, friends, if, if we have been, if you have been underestimating this challenge in the Christian life. The challenge of discernment. You see, being a Christian is not just a challenge of will. It's not just a challenge of being, not, you, know, you know what's the right thing to do, you just need to be able to do it. No, actually, that's not the only challenge. The other challenge is knowing what to do. Even when the will is set in the right direction, it's a challenge of judgment, of thinking. Sometimes I think when we're faced with difficult moments at at work, with friends, with family, points at which we don't really know what to do, 
we just kind of throw up our hands and assume there is no right way to go. And perhaps it's often not a simple question of right and wrong, good and evil. But that doesn't mean there's not a better and worse, a more valuable and a less valuable. And that is what discernment is about. Think about, think about as a church, if we, if we had to discern how to navigate a difficult kind of relational fallout in the congregation. We had to, and the leaders had to decide what to do about that. And it, it might be too complex just to describe in terms of right and wrong. But we might have to discern what was the best course of action. Think about um, if you had a kind of, you're having difficult relationships with your family. Some tricky things that happen and there are all sorts of things under the surface which are not being spoken about and you had to, you had to, Work out this difficult thing of how do I best engage with them? And it's a matter of discernment, you see. It's not a simple matter of sinning or not sinning. It's a matter of what is the best way for me to love them? Think about tricky jobs at at work, for example. You might be offered a new role which is exciting and opens up opportunities but will require much more of your time and will have costs in other areas of your life, what do you do? I think part of what Paul is saying is is maturity is about getting better at those calls. It's not simply the case that we are all in the same position with making those judgments. Actually, you can get better at them. Maturity is about growing in those things. Now, I've talked about thinking and making judgments and stuff. Paul is not saying, though, that maturity is about being really clever. Uh, I, I don't think the kind of discernment Paul is talking about is at all reserved for the superintelligent. In fact, they may be at a, at a disadvantage in some ways. No, what he's talking about is a kind of moral skill, a, a wisdom that any of us can grow in, actually. All of us. It's before all of us. Uh, one of my favorite verses in the New Testament is Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14, which kind of flips this whole thing around. Uh, the writer there says, solid food is for the mature. Who are the mature? He goes on and he says, for those whose faculties have been trained by practice to distinguish good from evil. Uh, what he's doing there is saying, you want solid food, you want kind of heavy kind of stuff to think about, advanced teachings, well, first you need to know how to live right. Once you get the hang of distinguishing good from evil, then we can start talking about advanced teachings and things. He's kind of, and it's it's very important. See, Christian maturity is not just about knowledge. It's about the skill of discernment and of living well. Okay, that's the second thing Paul's prayer teaches us. Finally, third thing, Verse 10 and 11, the goal of maturity, the goal of maturity is sanctification. See it there? So that you may discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. The goal of maturity is sanctification, becoming holy being transformed into the people we are meant to be in readiness for the day when God will transform the world, the day of Christ, as Paul puts it. Now, that idea of the day of Christ 
uh, is, is the Bible's way of saying that there really does lie before this world a, a moment when God will make an intervention and his son will be made king in a profound way and the world will be reorganized around him. The day of Christ, when Jesus returns to judge the living and the dead. And being a Christian and growing as a Christian is about getting ready for that day and growing in holiness and particularly, Paul says, becoming pure and blameless. Uh, Now, those words actually are a bit of a problem for us because they seem, I think, a bit more impossible than Paul intended them to be. Uh, Basically, you read, if you're anything like me, you read pure and blameless and you think, perfect, and you think, that is not me and it's not going to be me anytime soon. Um, it makes it, them in, impossible to kind of function as a real goal. The problem with that, though, is I actually think Paul meant these words to do something for us. Uh, the words themselves have less of a sense of just pure moral perfection and more of a sense of integrity, and particularly integrity and honesty in our relationships with one another. Uh, the first word for pure also means just, it, it means kind of unalloyed. Uh, unmixed, sincere, without hidden motives or pretense. It's, it's particularly about not being a hypocrite, being the same all the way down. The second word has to do particularly with not giving offence, uh, being not having kind of outstanding accusations against you, blameless in the sense that there's no outstanding charges that others have against you. It's actually a relational concept. And it's to do with not having kind of outstanding grievances in your relationships with people, but being able to have a, a clear conscience towards others. And then he says, also, filled with the fruit of righteousness. See that in verse 11? Filled with the fruit of righteousness. We need to pause on that uh, word fruit. Fruit is a very important biblical image, biblical metaphor, uh, because it captures the sense that our good works and the things that we are and do, the, the aspects of our character which are good and, and right, they are the product of something God has done in us. They're not the cause of God doing something to us. Let me explain. The idea of fruit is um, the kind of fruit you get is determined by the kind of tree you have. Right? If you have a bad tree, and here we're very close to Jesus' words in Matthew 7, if you have a bad tree, you end up getting bad fruit. If you have a good tree, a healthy tree, you get good fruit. I have a fig tree, which I've mentioned repeatedly in sermons, uh, so you'll be pleased to get the update. And uh, last year, it produced 10 good figs. Uh, it had never produced anything before in its life ever, except leaves, and it suddenly produced 10 good figs. And it made me think, this is a good tree. And you know it's, but the only way you know it's a good tree, you see, is by the fruit. That's what the biblical image is is getting at, you see. What kind of a tree we have become, if I can put it that way, what, what God has done in us will show itself by the fruit we produce. You know what has happened to somebody by the fruit they produce. By their fruits you will know them, said Jesus. Uh, and the fruit of righteousness Paul's talking about here is, is that he means the fruit that comes from 
righteousness, the, the expression of what God has done in us through Jesus. Now, the point to pause on here is just simply this. Paul's prayer implies very clearly that the gospel just must make a difference in your life, in our lives. It must actually affect the character and shape of our lives. That's what maturity is about, that change coming to expression. Uh, This has been a major theme, if you've been with us, of our series in Romans. That that what God has done in Jesus, Paul's just kept saying, it actually, it really does make a difference. It's not just an idea. It's something that's happened to you. You have changed dominion, he kept saying, from sin to righteousness, from being in the flesh to being in the spirit. That cannot mean that everything stays the same. It can't mean that. If Jesus really died and really rose from again, uh, rose from the dead, and if you are connected to that by faith so that you've died with him and risen from the dead and been justified and your sins are forgiven and you've received the Holy Spirit, that's got to change stuff. It's, it's got to change stuff. And therefore, as a, as a question from this prayer and as a way of kind of summing up a big theme of the last two months, let me just ask you, have you, have you registered, brothers and sisters, have you registered the need to actually be growing in holiness as a Christian? Paul's not talking about perfection. None of us is going to be perfect here and now, but change is and must be going on. Jesus is going to return, you see. And on that day, we are meant to be ready and to be for God's glory. Now, if that affects you, the thing to do, though, is not just to kind of freak out and feel bad. The thing to do is to return to the things Paul says about Jesus in Romans and take stock of them and believe in them and see what effect it has. Okay, that's the three points. That's what Paul prays for. This is the maturity he hopes for the Philippians. Uh, I think it's a rich and complex picture. Uh, it's, it, it wonderfully kind of weaves together, uh, if I can put it this way, heart, head, and hands. Our love, our thinking, and our practice in our lives it, into this kind of wonderful unity. Maturity is not just one or the other. It's all of these three working together and growing. And I... I think it gives us much to shoot for and to pray for. Um, If there is something you have been challenged in what has been said here, can I just encourage you, above all, to pray for it? Uh, Because we're talking about spiritual growth here, and that is the gift of God. Yet before we conclude, I think we need to notice one other thing. And that is that there is something wrong we're thinking of, about our response to this passage in purely individualistic terms. Uh, because this is not just, you see, is it? It's not just a prayer for individuals. Actually, first and foremost, it's a prayer for a community. And in fact, the things that Paul says here don't really work and, and don't quite make sense if they are abstracted from a context of community. 
The love that Paul hopes will grow is a love that has to be expressed in love for one another. The knowledge they are to acquire can actually only be acquired in community. As people use their gifts and speak to each other. Uh, In our context with the internet and Christian bookshops and podcasts and so on, we can kid ourselves that this is not the case and that we can just we can just grow in knowledge off on our own. And to some extent, of course, you can grow in lots of ways, but that's 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 not adequate. That's you can't adequately grow in the kinds of knowledge Paul is talking about on your own. When it comes to growing in deep insight, there is no substitute for real people. People who have learning and wisdom to share, older people in the faith, people who can sort through misinformation and, and, and recommend books and notice when you're getting preoccupied with strange things and help you keep on track and, and who can test your knowledge in real life. Um, leaders who can guide us through the Bible. And please don't think this is just an apology for kind of ministers. It is not. This is very much true of me as well. One of the great privileges in my time here at Newtown was to be a part of a Bible study with uh, some of the older women and men from the morning service. And I learned a great deal from them. I knew, I knew a lot more about the Bible and theology than them, but I learned a great deal from them. Because if you're not just talking about knowing stuff, but you're talking about actual deep insight into the Christian faith, well, that's something you learn with one another. Knowledge and deep insight for Christians cannot be really had apart from community. Um, Discernment, too. Discernment is a community practice. It's not something we just do in our individual lives. It's something we do together as we decide together what to do and what is important to us. This is why processes like the one Roger has been guiding us through as a church in thinking about next year are actually quite important. They're quite important to do together uh, because what we're doing is discerning things and trying to learn how to do that. And finally, the virtues Paul prayed for are, as we saw, ones that only make sense in community. Pure and blameless, these are actually these are relational things. They have to do with our relationships and stance towards one another. The fruit of righteousness is something that's expressed in relationship. Okay, well, what does all that add up to? Simply this. Let me say this in conclusion. True maturity, real personal growth, enrichment, it needs community. Maturity is about being a part of a mature and maturing community. Growing is something that God asks us to do together. Love, growing in knowledge, discernment, sanctification, these are things we are meant to pursue in common. And so as we hear and respond to this passage, let's not just ask about ourselves, but about this community. Let's pray for our community as a whole. And let me also challenge you that if you you feel like you are treading water a little in life, in your faith. Perhaps, just perhaps, but perhaps, one of the reasons could be that you are not actually connected to people enough for growth to be possible. 
Maturing is not something we can do on our own. It's a common pursuit. Now, can I invite you, therefore, all of us, to join in Paul's prayer and to pray for these things for yourself, for each other, for us, for our whole church, and then to pursue them together as brothers and sisters. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for sending your Son, Jesus Christ, to be our Saviour, for the gift of your Spirit, who connects us to him and sets us on this new, wonderful path of walking as his people. And we ask, Father, for ourselves and for us as a church that our love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that we may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. To your glory and praise. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church Podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.